So during this interim period between the Dhamma sharing, I was reminded of an important point that I didn't talk about earlier with regard to change. And and that is a lot of times we want others to change. And it doesn't work very well to try to get them to change. (laughs) Um, And it causes us a lot of suffering. So in the same way that we were talking about how important it is to first and foremost be present with the way things are, whether that's some physical change in our body and or some change in our circumstances or whatever our reality, whatever the situation is for us, to really first and foremost just take that in, whatever our internal mental state is, our feelings. And this is also true of other people. And from there, we do what we can. But we often try to control things that are not in our control. And whenever we do that, we suffer. And even when we try to do that, feeling like it would help them, maybe it would, but we still don't have the, the agency, the, the ability to cause them to change. I remember my mother one time saying, everybody would be so much better off if they just listened to me. (laughs) (laughs) And in some ways she was right. (laughs) Um, However, (laughs) it's not how it works. (laughs) And we can desperately want our partner or our child or our parent to be different, to change. We can see how much happier they would be if they did, but we can't make that happen. And as long as we cling to that, we suffer. So if we first and foremost take it in that this, this is the situation, And we need to make choices then based on the situation of how much we are willing or able to stay present with what's happening, to want to be in the circle of influence of what's happening there. That's where we have agency. We we can control to whatever degree we have become a skilled manager of our own minds and our own actions. We can control our body, our bodily actions, our verbal actions, and our mind. But to become the masters of our own mind, this is um, said to be the most important. My mind is saying achievement, but that's not quite right. This is the most important. 
mastery that we can gain. When the, in the Dhammapada, the Buddha says that the untrained mind is the most dangerous thing there is, and the trained mind is the most wonderful thing. So when people come to talk with us who are struggling with, you know, maybe an engagement with one of their parents, you know, once we've grown up, we're in a different situation than when we were children. As a child, we don't have the, the power or the agency oftentimes to protect ourselves. So we may find other means to try to protect the mind if we're in an abusive situation. And when we're adults, then whatever trauma there might have been in the past, we have an opportunity to work that through. And we also have the ability to make boundaries. We change our own re response. So sometimes I've, we've seen and maybe experienced for ourselves the ability to accept someone in our life the way they are and then be able to interact and be so different with it that we're not anymore negatively affected. But sometimes it requires staying away or staying away part of the time. And really being mindful and aware when we're hoping and clinging to an idea that this other person will be different. Or we are in one way or another, maybe a bit more subtly trying to change them. And even if we hope they see that we have changed our own lives and they're so much better, they may or they may not see it and be curious enough to try to find out what the heck happened. <laughs> Why are you happier now than you used to be? Why are you happier than they are? <laughs> but that may not happen either. So this is one of the beautiful things about change. We can change our own relationship to what's going on around us. And the most important change really can happen in a moment. And that's the change to being present with the Dhamma. So these characteristics of the Dhamma that the Buddha talked about, that we chant um, frequently, it starts out, Swadha Kho, is that right? Swadha. 
Swagato, thank you. It's always when I try to pull them out of context, it's like, what? Where are they? That's <laughs> what happens when you start so late in life with the Dhamma, but it's also good to be really glad it happened at all. Swagato Bhagavata Dhamma. So the Dhamma is well expounded by the Blessed One. Sanditiko, apparent here and now. Akaliko, timeless. Ehipasiko, leading onwards. No, inviting investigation. Opanaiko, leading onwards. And Pachatam, we tapo, we tapo. I can do this over and over again, but not while people are listening. <laughs> Out of context. Out of context. Inviting and and being experienced directly, realized by the wise. Direct experience. So what is that? Do you know that feeling, touching into the Dhamma? It's available here and now, but it's timeless, dependable, immutable, available, to be experienced directly by the wise, discovered through investigation, So the feeling of it, I guess I would say, or the experience of it, the touching in on it, that's much more immediately available for me than the words. And that's what I would encourage. So we practice that. Opening, it's an opening of the mind, an opening of the heart. That humility we talked about earlier, the reverence, the awe. And then we start to gain the confidence that that's always there, available. The Dhamma, available here and now in this present moment. And the mind can also change the other way in a, in a nanosecond. Jealousy, fear. Desire, aversion. 
and then notice that. And how does that feel? A thought comes into the mind and reminds us of, you know, maybe some time when someone said or did something that we felt threatened by or hurt, disregarded, put down, something like that. And then, you know, all those defense mechanisms or any of the defense mechanisms kick in. More tight. And there's dukkha. And then can we breathe into that, seeing it, feeling it, knowing how it is, and then relax. And so much of our dukkha isn't even experienced as something's happening to us. It's experienced as the mind reflects and recalls it. As I've heard that the Neuroscientists have discovered that it, in our mind, it's the same thing. Even if we're watching it on TV or something, we, the, the brain reacts, the body reacts to the thought or the sight or the sound. It doesn't have to be actually some danger or some, you know, some somebody saying or doing something that harms us or puts us down in the time, in the moment, it can just be recalling it. When someone says something unskillful, it may hurt when it happens, but then we hurt ourselves with it again and again and again later when we go over it in our mind. And so can we notice that in the moment when the mind turns turns to a state of suffering, then can we turn it back again? Can we shift back into that connection with the Dhamma? Because what's, what's happening then is like it's, there's freedom, freedom from from suffering, from attachment, from feeling the sense of self, the ego, from wanting things to be different than they are, from perceiving threats or loss. A lot of times we grieve over losses of things that we thought were ours, but they never were. So we can remind ourselves, you know, intoxication with youth, health, wealth. Life. These things are not really something we can possess. The body doesn't belong to us, it belongs to nature, and it will go back to nature. We're borrowing it. We're using it, make as good a use of it as we can, because it's in this body that we can learn the whole Dhamma, said the Buddha. Everything you need to know you can learn in this fathom-long body.
just this much. And as Ajahn Chah said, if we think about the body as just this much, we really reflect on that over and over again. Then when something goes wrong, we go, it's just this much. And we have immediate relief. So this is the kind of skillful means that helps us to meet suffering and shift. Shift to understanding the Dhamma there, the way things actually are, accepting that Dhamma, accepting the situation. And from that position, from that state of mind, we can make much better decisions about what we can do to help. To help the body, to help the mind, to help others. I mean, do you really believe that we can have a kind of peace and happiness no matter what's happening? Have you experienced that? I have. And it's possible. It's available. And in some ways, it's our birthright. We're born into this human life. And clearly, since you're listening to this and you have some contact with Dhamma, clearly, you have causes and conditions that make it possible for you to be free. What an amazing thing. The best kind of change. So as you practice today or any time, and practice is, you know, now I'm thinking, you know, meditation, but it's more than that, much more than that. Training the mind. And, and really noticing what brings happiness and pleasant feeling, spiritual pleasant feeling, the piti, the sukha, you know, that kind of pleasant feeling that arises in the body and the mind from that spiritual contact, that spiritual energy. And when the piti gets really strong, the body feels so light, it feels like it'll float away. Some of the enlightened monastics talk about that in the suttas and their verses, in the Teragata, Terigata. 
Sometimes the whole body feels like it's tingling or warm. Spiritual energy. Sometimes we feel it somewhat when we're generous and kind. And we turn our attention to Dhamma. We feel that immediate, available connection to the truth. And sukha, that pleasant feeling that's not quite as energized and vibrant as piti, maybe softer, maybe steadier, calmer, more a little more subtle, sustainable. And as the mind becomes more still, oriented towards the Dhamma, we feel more and more of that, these kinds of experiences. Natural to a peaceful mind. We can experience the same kinds of sensations when we practice metta or loving kindness or any of the Brahma Viharas, compassion, mudita, mudita or uh, appreciative joy. It's really joy in anything that's good. So if we find ourselves in a situation that's really difficult, there's always some goodness there. Resilience, kindness, compassion, selflessness. You see these examples, you feel them in yourself. This is a source of joy. This is a practice we can do anytime. Observing what's good, putting attention on what's good, whether it's virtue or giving, kindness, selflessness of any kind, any kind of example from any living being can be human or animal, deva. It brings joy. And equanimity, the peacefulness, the stillness, the calm, the acceptance of the lows as well as the highs, and evenness of mind, unperturbed. So turning our mind towards any of this, any of this, this kind of infused with spiritual energy, spiritual reality. And these are the same things people did 2,500 years ago under the guidance of the Buddha. 
And the same things people do in other spiritual traditions, because the spiritual reality is no different. We express it differently. Maybe there are different depths of seeing. Seems to me the Buddha really saw it all, even the impermanence of all other realms. There's no eternal life, said the Buddha. But it's still the same spiritual reality, no matter no matter what we think or how much we perceive, there's still goodness in what's good and there's still <clears throat> development of the wholesome available to us. And it's important to bring up happiness and joy, that the practice is so much more about that than it is about suffering. That this is an essential part of what brings about our, our change, the positive changes we want to make. The suffering is like a, a red flag, an indicator, uh, an invitation. But we don't leave it at that. It can be a motivation, but an even better motivation is when we see the goodness, we experience the happiness and the relief from that suffering. We want to bring love into the mind in every way that we can for ourselves, for others, for all living beings. Gratitude, gratitude for our own well-being, for our support, the support we experience. for all good things. I knew an, a very elderly man once, every time we parted, he wished me all good things. And I heard him say that to everyone he met, may you have all good things. Well, of course, the best of things is the Dhamma, the spiritual joy and energy and wisdom So as you meditate, notice your mind. Notice the thoughts in the mind and use that wisdom. To cultivate them or to reject them or replace them. Not with aversion, but with wisdom, with knowing.
cultivate joy and happiness. Patience. The great thing is we can do this. It's doable. We see the good results. We experience them. And then as the mind becomes more and more still and we let go of thought entirely, and we let the process of the Dhamma, let the process of the meditation take over, completely let go of trying to do anything. And just witness it with bright and clear mindfulness and presence. And this comes when all the hindrances have gone into remission, (laughs) become stilled. When there's PT and sukha, and the mind is bright. And then all we can do is observe. There's no choices anymore. And this is a beautiful state of mind that allows healing to occur, wisdom to arise. Confidence. And if the mind doesn't want to settle down, then we can give it something very useful to reflect on, like the parts of the body. (laughs) Or the footsteps as you do walking meditation, the breath. And if the breath is too subtle to hold on to or to continue to observe, then something maybe more compelling, like the Brahma Viharas, or again, like the body parts, visualizing each one. Moving through the whole body. What does it really look like, that spleen of yours, or pancreas, or thigh bone, skull, the Buddha gave us many methods because we have many different circumstances. We should not let ourselves get bogged down or confused by the variety Use the meditation object that works well for you. And then apply something else when you're in a situation that calls for it. To give your mind the best possible support for awakening.
and change. Positive, powerful change. So I'm gonna stop talking now and encourage you to really use this next hour and a half, roughly, to practice sitting, walking, noble silence, and whatever meditation focus is helpful. And reflect upon the connection with the Dhamma. Not just the Dhamma you hear about or read about, but the Dhamma that you experience right now, directly, immediate, inviting you to come and see, timeless, encouraging your investigating investigation and available to each person individually. No one else can experience this for us. We do it ourselves. There's no other way. Individually connecting with wisdom to the Dhamma. that we have our list of people that have been added to um, share merit with. So whenever you practice, you have the opportunity to think of people that you want to share the blessings of your practice with. And our list here is, is Misty, everyone in Gaza and Israel, Yuka, Alan Sunaki, Dorothy, Claire, Jean and Holly, Cynthia, who's having surgery on March 6th, Divya's mom, Nita's mom, Scott Keith, Stan McDonald, Shima, Vicki and Paul, Buzz, Connor, and we just added Serena. She's actually feeling really ill. She said the most ill she's ever felt in her life. She's got COVID and got a bronchial infection. So we're holding them all in mind. And you can bring people in mind yourself as you practice. And you're always welcome to ask us to add um, for chanting and blessings and
Yeah. <laughs> so this is an opportunity to ask questions or uh, it could be about today's topic on changing or anything else. You're having trouble hearing in the kitchen or are you okay? It's okay? Good. Yeah, huh? I'll have to leave now, but thank you for the retreat today. Oh, you're welcome. We're glad you could join us. Yeah, it's good for everyone to know that we are happy when people come, regardless of what time or when they have to go. We've always had that um, standard. Take care, Wong. Yes. So, it's very easy to like choose friends that are good, wholesome, you know, all of that. And Lucky you. <laughs> and then you have your family. Yeah, then you have your family. Of origin, not maybe your own family at the moment, but the family of origin. Then you go back and, you know, they treat you as if you have never changed. And um, so I find, like, I have to keep going over and over, like, Meta, meta, meta. <laughs> you know, loving kindness, like refreshing that. It's like I have a well that once it's gone, whoo, all kinds of fire can come up. Ah, so there's kind of a meta cash, and then once you've <laughs> drained it, yeah, that's you're have to, re have to really like go at the away mercy of whatever. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, it's it's really. It can be really hard to go back to the place of origin for this lifetime sometimes. I remember going back to visit my parents and my parents were very good and <laughs> there is trauma, you know. <laughs> but um you know, I I walk through the door and I'm 12 again or 9 or something and just amazing how that happened and then um, it is true and I and I feel like as a mother um, with the help of good friends um, and and te the teachings at various points to really try to look at them afresh mm -hmm see who they are now and actually with anyone um you know instead of having that idea of this person and they're like this they said that and you know like try to take take in them totally fresh as if like zero out the past i mean i'm not trying to say ignore entirely what's happened before. I mean, I think Ajahn Chah was very wise to say you have to know the animals of the forest. You know, you don't treat the cobra and the, the deer or the bunny rabbit all the same, you know, or the tiger. I mean, you have to know. I mean, you have, you have some awareness and wisdom about, you know, what people have done or do or are capable of, but there's also an advantage to seeing them fresh. Mm -hmm. And when other people don't see who we are, especially those ones like our parents that we would really love to 
see us as we are, uh, again, we need to just accept it. Mm -hmm. This is their view of me. How bad can it be? <coughs> you know, they're probably not going to do anything physically harmful. So we have to kind of really um, prepare <coughs> ourselves sometimes to see them fresh because they keep changing and become quite vulnerable probably in older age and learn from watching them. I know Ajahn Sumedho talked quite a bit about his father aging. He said his father was a very, you know, strong, capable, a successful man with power. And then in his older age, he became paralyzed and he was angry. And every caregiver, I mean, it sounded like he just was so hard to take care of. And they'd leave the room crying. And what Ajahn Sumedho said he learned is, I'm never going to be like that. And you can think of all the suffering there, um, that feeling of loss of control. <clears throat> Sometimes having power and control in your sort of some at some point in your life can really be deceiving because we don't really have that much power and control. And if we think that's, you know, like what we what we have as a person, as a personality, that I'm this way, I deserve certain things, I, it should be like this, and it's not like this. And a lot of times as people are going through that, and they're not present, aware, accepting, uh, developing, learning, changing themselves, or changing their own view of themselves, they can take it out on other people. Yeah. And Really, if we can have compassion, maybe it's not just metta that's needed, but a lot of compassion. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's not very fun to be around. But if, well, if it's... Can I interrupt you? What I like what you're saying about not wishing it was someone, like I always think, oh, I <coughs> a mother like that, or <laughs> you know, a sister like that, or something, and that doesn't go very far. It doesn't help at all. No, this is what we got. Yeah, this is what we got. Mm -hmm. And that's how we have to be with everything. You know, okay, it, we want it like that, but it's like this. <laughs> and my own mind, you know, like, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, like, wow, that's so weird. Like, the chant is just gone. I can't, I've done it thousands of times. <laughs> you know, it's like this. Mm -hmm. The brain is like this. You know, I, every once in a while, someone passes through our life whose partner has dementia or Alzheimer's and I knew this couple they had been married 65 years it sounded like a pretty good peaceful marriage and then <clears throat> the wife got Alzheimer's and she's saying to the husband you're a monster you're like you know abusing me and you know he's just like what do I do with this? You know, so painful. And then finally they had to move her to a, another facility and he just said, the bed is so huge and the apartment feels so huge, you know, so lonely. And for all the wishing of it to be different, it's, it's, it's like this. The sooner we can 
<clears throat> change our own wishes and desires into this is how it is. What do I do with this? Sometimes a way to think about it is what's my job now? What can I do now? And there's a beautiful sutta where the Buddha talks about this and he says, do everything you can do when something's not going the way you want it to, you know, your health, whatever. Do what you can do. He said, you know, if you usually um, do these prayers or these chants or this whatever and whatever might help, you just do it. Do everything you can and then if it doesn't turn around, and I figure like, you know, if you've got a health crisis and you go through whatever medical, you get whatever help you can get or parents are aging and you, you do what you can to help them. <clears throat> and then if it doesn't turn around, you say, this is, this is in the sutta, the karma is really strong. Mm -hmm. What can I do now? It ends with what can I do now? So it's like, okay, what's my job now? What can I do now? Um, there's always something. Yeah. Audrey? Well, on the same line, uh, my mom is 98 years old, and she has small onset dementia. And uh, she'll ask the same question every 30 seconds. And... It used to irritate me because I wish she would she would be more cognizant. Yeah. And I just switched my attitude to a new moment. Yeah. As if she's never asked that before. <coughs> That's and great. That has helped a lot. Mm -hmm. I have to admit it doesn't always work. <laughs> Can't always quite get there fast enough, but <laughs> yeah, you've got the, the right idea. Time, you know, yeah. sometimes, but it—it's amazing how you can change it in a second. Your own thinking, exactly, and attitude. Yeah, and it does help as we go through our process. I'm not sure if you could hear that online. Could you hear that? Oh, great! Yeah, Audrey can. It's so, it's like, good. <laughs> it's so amazing how qu quick the mind can change. Nothing's faster than changing in the, than the mind. <laughs> well, if we, if we have, we build up our mindfulness, you know, mindfulness isn't just about eating raisins, you know, I mean, you really do have to use it for these emotional states. <laughs> you got to really... <laughs> That's a great place to start. This is not really a put down of anything, but <laughs> what we're doing with our emotions and our and our thoughts and our perceptions, this is really, really crucial. And um, and to change the mind like that, I had a similar kind of thing when my mom started to forget and ask questions over again, or you know, forget things that she never would have forgotten before. At first I was trying to remind her, no, it's like this, and you, you know, because I had some idea that if she tried harder, mm -hmm. she'd be able to just, you know, come on, Mom, get with it. 
And it was, it was, I, you know, I was the one who had to get with it. <laughs> I got to catch up here. This is changing. And you know, sometimes you may have heard me before recommend this book, Contented Dementia. So it's a really lovely book about getting, moving into the reality of your loved one and um, recognizing that what matters is how they feel when you leave us when the situation ends is this going to be a happy experience or an unhappy experience and even if you think they don't remember the feeling lingers there and you know this is this we can think about this with everything you know when you talk to your boss you talk to your employee you talk to your kids your partner you know is this going to be a pleasant is this in the in the book they talk about like what if all these memories were like photographs and you have a frame around it like if it's a bad experience with bad feelings it has a red frame and if it's a good experience it has a green frame how many green frames do you have in your book and that you keep putting the green frames or another way to think of it is if I never see this person again which could be any time, is this ending on the right note? And it's beautiful to keep reminding ourselves of that. And then, you know, pretty soon, no matter how many times they ask, no matter how many times they inadvertently put you down because you're not what they want you to be, <laughs> whatever, you know, it's like, okay. I mean, there were even times when I would play the scenario beforehand because I knew this would happen this is what they would say this is how I will feel and it's not going to be happy and good but I don't have to hold on to that mm -hmm. how do I turn that around to a green frame you know and I don't mean selling ourselves out or doing anything that we wouldn't be proud of. I don't mean anything like that. Stick with virtue. Stick with um, kindness and self-respect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Audrey? Along the same lines, I recently heard somebody say she decided to um, fill her life or day with abundance. So she was in a traffic jam and all the drivers around there, they're honking and they're angry, they're frustrated. And she decided to fill and look through the lens of abundance. Because it's, oh, look, everyone around me can afford a car, can afford the gas to put in their car, can afford jobs or have jobs to afford this lifestyle in this or whatever, yeah. area. And she thought of everything abundant around her. And instead of having a frustrating morning trying to get to work, she had one that was one that was fulfilling. Yeah. You never really have to worry about traffic anymore after that. <laughs> you just like, oh, it's rush hard, so what? Hey, we're all on the same team. We're just all gonna try to get where we're going in the right pieces. <laughs> Somebody's doing weird things, you know, it's like, may you be safe. May you be well. I was, someone was riding with me months and I said something like that and they said, that 
that's a bunch of hooey. You're just putting on the, like, top glazing. And I'm like, well, you know, I, it can start out like that, but then pretty soon it feels good. You know, you're wishing them well, and it comes through you. And it doesn't have to be, you know, it doesn't have to be something superficial or, you know, like, we don't want to just... This is not about everything being roses. But what <clears throat> James said earlier about you know having a little rosy tint on <laughs> the abundance side, or you know like we're on the same team, <laughs> you know something like that can be helpful. Joyce? Thank you. This um, <clears throat> talking about dementia reminded me of a film that I watched many years ago. It turns out it's 1994, and it was nominated for an Academy Award. It's called Complaints of a Beautiful, of a Dutiful Daughter. And his, her mother has dementia. And she does a lot of really odd things. I mean, as people are describing, and it's made by <clears throat> filmmaker Deborah Hoffman about her mother, Doris. And I was just Googling it. It, it turned out it was on POV on, <clears throat> on public television. Um, but it, obviously it's no longer available there. But if you Google it, you'll find it. It's It may be for like a small fee, but I watched that many times and it's just very moving how this daughter moved through, you know, the kind of frustration to an acceptance and an under <clears throat> understanding. Sorry, I've got the same throat thing you have. Yeah. So, <laughs> I just wanted to put that out. I could maybe put um, where I found it first on the, uh, the POV website. If you'd like me to do that, I could put it in the chat. Sure. Complaints of a dutiful daughter. Mm -hmm. That sounds pretty cool. Mm -hmm. We might make a <clears throat> KBV movie night. <laughs> well, her mother eating like banana after banana, and then she would pack her suitcase with some kind of a box of crackers. And, you know, this, these things were just repetitive. Yeah. And calling to make a new dentist appointment over and over. <clears throat> yeah, it's, oh, boy. But it's it's really done very well. You just feel a lot of compassion as you watch it. Yeah, there was a story in the Contended Dementia book of this lady who had been the wife of a military, um, high-ranking military officer and had moved a lot. And so she kept wanting to pack. <laughs> and so what they did was they gave her a, a, a box. And she would... You know, like spend time just putting things in the, and then then she'd come in and she'd unpack, mm -hmm. and then she'd pack, and then she'd unpack, and this was happiness for her. She's feeling like an accomplishment, you know, and it's like how harmless is that? You know, it's like we are trying to make things make sense according to our world, but her world, you know, she was fine. Yeah, 
And I and I think about this not just for the, that kind of situation, but entering someone else's world enough to understand where they're coming from, I think can really be useful. That we change our perception, our perspective, to see where they're coming from. And sometimes that means picking up a bit on the trauma they've experienced or um, the, the sort of social kind of pressure they might have experienced given their situation or, you know, whatever it is. You know, to become more understanding, <clears throat> less judgmental, and less demanding can really, I think, can really help us, help them too. before, I think maybe at the East Faith uh, Dhamma, where uh, I'm, I'm curious about what lasts in the midst of change. Because it does seem like intuitively there's something there. Um, and I try to sort of rationalize it in Buddhist terms as like, um, it's kind of like things coming up, like sort of patterns that are coming up again. But I don't even know. That could just be me trying to talk myself into something. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if you've ever felt that, like a sort of um, this curiosity about, okay, things are changing. I feel different or other people feel different or the world feels different, but there's something that seems to be lasting. Do you think it's dumb? I mean, it could be. I mean, it probably does relate to that. <laughs> but it, it's like, um, I think when I'm approaching mm -hmm. that from a Buddhist lens, my attitude is always like impermanence. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to, I have this like aversion to wanting to say there's anything there that's the same. But then when I approach it from like, a, it, you know, if I were in like a more, know like invite to Vendanta or something that's more about um, you know something cultivating like an Ottoman or something my my reactions oh then surely there's got to be some um, pure kernel a sort of essence to myself that or essence to everything that's changing so it's sort of like it, it's come to the point where it almost feels like do I am I forcing a narrative of, of change, like, I guess my question is more um, observing change, but not forcing, not making change itself now, mm. the dogma, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah, I think it's like you're trying to not crystallize something, like, this is, this is a thing. Or mm -hmm. find, trying to find out, oh, is there something that is crystallized? Yeah. That is, and 
I think the danger is when, obviously, when we take something to be a self, we're, we're trying to establish that eternalism. Mm -hmm. And that's what you're trying to be careful not to do, which is good, because, you know, it's like if we investigate those different um, concepts that are presented as eternal, if you really investigate them down to the core, you find they're not. However, if you look at the, I feel like you look at the Dhamma and the, you know, the way the Buddha taught it, it's, it's immutable. It is, it is not changing. It is lasting. There's a certain kind of framework of the way things work, which includes impermanence of all the, you know, um, form, feeling, etc., the khandhas, of everything in samsara that's impermanent, not self. Of course, the, the suffering comes with that. But then there's, you know, the, there's nibbana. Mm -hmm. And there's the dhamma itself, you know, like, when there's birth, there's <laughs> going to be death. That part is not changing. But it's also not a thing. Mm -hmm. So every time we give these things names, they kind of automatically, because of our language, become like things. And as soon as it becomes a thing, instead of a process, then then it it doesn't really. Um, then we start to like crystallize it, mm -hmm. and then. It can be mine, or it can be my idea, or it can be my, you know, it's something, something's, we think something's there that's not really there. I think what you said about language, I think there's, I think that clicks with me, that like, I think maybe getting too caught up with the words and trying to explain it is what's actually causing this, this crystallization or aversion to crystallization, because I'm always searching for what's the right way to describe something or right way to explain it, define it. Yeah. So, yeah. And the different ways that people who have attained maybe the whole path, um, the different ways they describe it can come under debate by a lot of us who haven't gotten that far, and then it's kind of gets confusing, and, you know, so I think coming back to the things the Buddha said, don't veer off into eternalism. Don't veer off into nihilism. Look at cause and effect. Mm -hmm. And the cause and effect continues to be consistent. Mm -hmm. So if we're looking for consistency, I think that's where it's at. Mm -hmm. And then this concept that I talked about not too long ago about s some things being outside of time like the chitta being outside of time. Mm -hmm. And if we recognize that, and then the chitta is not a thing, it's, not, it's a process, and it's outside of time, so it's not under the same constraints, or doesn't, you know, it's... Mm -hmm. Like the Ajahn Ganhal say, the chitta never dies. Mm. And you start to get a sense of how that's possible if it really exists outside of time. Mm -hmm. 
exists already has me caught up in something I don't want to be caught up in. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's um it's very interesting to who says the chitta never dies for Shajan? Ajahn Ganha. 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 Yeah. G A G A N H A. Okay. And he's um Thank you. At Wat Sabtui in Thailand. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, Joyce, are you, did you, is this still, is this a new hand? <laughs> it's a new hand. Okay. <laughs> I have always been curious about this word, shitta. Is it, um, could it be equated with awareness? Yeah, I think so. And is it an individual? Is it something that awareness? What? Do we all share? No. Not a, it's not a self. It's not so, belonging to a self. She's asking, do we all share it? Do we all share it? Again, I don't know if we can... Mm. <laughs> well, I guess so. Um, in a way. I mean, do we all share awareness? <clears throat> you know, I think what I was talking about <clears throat> the way I was talking about the Dhamma, or the way the Dhamma is described by the Buddha, forget about me. But the, you know, that that seems to me like what people are talking about, like Ajahn Ganha and and Ajahn Sumedho. The, there's this, you know, in the Thai forest tradition, the forest masters talk about knowing the knowing or the one who knows. I think this is what they're really talking about. I think they're really talking about this immediately available, inviting us to come and see, you know, kind of Dhamma. And, I, and the words are inadequate. And yeah, the concept is just so, just beyond the mind to even think about. Yes. It's, it's a to it's, we have to experience it directly, is what the Buddha said, and that's exactly right. <clears throat> and I think we do, even though we may not see ourselves as, you know, um, however far, however, whatever's happened in our practice, we do experience Dhamma. <clears throat> and it, to get a sense of that, you know, some of this inspiration or uplift or guidance or knowing things that we didn't know before that come through um, touching in the Dhamma and then I mean when the Buddha said you know his night of the night of his enlightenment then he knew what was never known before and it's like you don't get to it through reasoning I've been noticing lately, and I this is so puzzling to me, that something seems to be making choices that are really wholesome, actually, and they're kind of surprising because I don't know that I know this. Mm -hmm. But it makes this choice, but I don't have the sense of I am making this choice. So it's something that's very mysterious, and I've been exploring it for the last few weeks and, and some people would just call it intuition 
you know, but I think it's, I think there really is this awareness that you can trust. So when Ajahn Sumedho says trust awareness, I don't think he's talking about, you know, the mindfulness of eating the raisin. He's talking about this, you know, Dhamma that's there. And he'll, he'll use these synonyms. He'll call it mindfulness. He'll call it Dhamma. He'll call it Nibbana. He'll call it all kinds of things. But I think this is what he's talking about. And, and then, you know, like, instead of trying to put it in a box and call it an, a name, making it a noun, I think we need to think of it as a verb. It seems like having, do, having done Dhamma practice, and try to see more clearly and develop some wisdom that that's what is being accessed when I describe what I described. Mm-hmm. But I, but it's not I doing it. It's, it's not I. That the practice it, it, is doing it. I think it's the same thing that you're saying. Yeah. Okay, thank you. That's yeah, there's good. definitely like, that's why humility gets stronger as we develop because you just know it's not me. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going on that four-week retreat. Hallelujah. Next Saturday. Great. And guess what? The topic is awareness. Let's hope it really is. We'll see see what happens. Yeah, cool. Okay, thank you. That was was great. That was very helpful, what you said. Thank you. What I have is um, uh, causes and effects you mentioned that and processes that we should be observing that and i'm wondering it sounds a lot like dependent origination yeah exactly um and uh it's something that i don't think we've talked a lot about or at least i haven't been aware of the talking about it um here and i wondered if you i would yeah i it seems like dependent awareness origination awareness it's it's very dependent origination is very important and i struggled to try to understand it and i just wondered if either now or sometime in the future you could spend some time not i kind of understand i do sort of get the framework of it but i like you're saying you should be you should be looking at that and I don't think I do that. And it seems like it might be kind of important. So maybe you could spend a couple minutes talking about that at least. A couple of years talking about A couple of years. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or even uh, <laughs> a series of talks. I don't know. I'm begging here. So one, one good place to start um First of all, the Buddha talked in different ways about dependent origination or, you know, causation. And he used different links. See, there's the 12, that's that's the kind, kind of most common one, but you can do it in three. You know, there's different, there's different forms that show up in the suttas. And one good place to, a good place to start is with one of those pairs of and 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 going backwards sometimes is easier like like the way he did it as far as i know is okay there's death this is a problem this is the problem i want to solve what is it that death depends upon what condition does death depend upon 
without which you don't have death. Well, we know what that is. Birth. And without the Buddha pointing that out, that's not the way I thought about it. You know, you just think of death as this horrible thing. You don't think of birth as the automatic trigger for death. We put all that energy into celebrating a new birth, and we're loving it. And when it gets around to time to die, whether that being is very young or middle or really old, it's never the right time, mostly, you know, etc. We know. So starting with those ones that you see, that you can really experience, and, and see and, and um, investigate those some, you know, like feeling. You have contact and then you have feeling. The feeling doesn't come up without the trigger of a thought or a, a sound, someone saying something or feeling, you know, touching something or something like that. You know, so play with the ones that make, that really are clear. And then see how far you can go with all of the links. You know, which ones are really like de- drop-dead obvious. Uh, sorry, maybe I shouldn't use that analogy. <laughs> but, but, you know, and then, and then take it from there and see. And the part where it gets a little murky is when we, probably, is when we're talking about um, how we come into this existence because it goes round and round and then that's that's a challenge for some some people to to recognize because they they haven't been able to see the evidence directly so then we start looking for looking at the evidence you know why this kid is really an excellent musician right off the bat why that kid is my grandson he could pick up a ball this big with his tiny little baby hand one hand what the heck (laughs) how does that happen how does he (laughs) you know anyhow you just start noticing and see what you can understand about it and then there's a part we can't understand about it until the dhamma comes in and we see it differently and then sometimes it we don't see things differently until we're in an altered state of consciousness, which is meditation. But if we're thinking about it, we're investigating it in normal consciousness, then it's more likely to unfold in altered consciousness. And then we understand it. So, you know, when it, simple things, like anybody who tries to solve problems, like like software engineering, you're debugging something and you've tried everything and you have no idea what's wrong. You can't figure it out. You go for a walk and all of a sudden, oh, you know where to look. It doesn't come out of thinking mind. It comes out of, you know, like the empty space. And that's a kind of concrete worldly example, but I think that happens the same with Dhamma. I don't know if anybody's got any objections to that analogy but that might be a way to start letting the mind go still without expectations really relaxing 
because that's really what deep meditation is getting super super relaxed letting go So the aim of looking at causes and conditions and processes is to fill in the blank. Understand how it really works. To what really works, nature, Dharma? The nature of reality. Uh. Because we have these ideas about things being constant that are not constant or reliable, etc., all these misperceptions we have are because we don't understand how reality actually works. And then we suffer over it. That seems like it brings me to dark places. Oh, <laughs> what dark places does it take you to? Um. I like my house. My house isn't mine. It won't last forever, and neither will I. Oh, darn. <laughs> that was very well put. Yeah. <laughs> so then you enjoy it now, and you appreciate its fragility, and you let go of needing to have it forever. That's hard work. <laughs> or, or not. I mean, at some point, something might happen that pulls the rug out from under your feet, and then there's something else there that catches you. And you start to develop the trust that there's always something we can do, like we talked about a minute ago. And also those powers that help us you know the that web of good friends that um wisdom of what's wholesome and unwholesome the energy to carry it through the moral moral virtue the blamelessness the more we the more we think about that try it out live it the more we see that yeah i really don't have to worry about those five things the house will go and it'll be okay. Yeah, I, I've heard all this and um, <laughs> it's not new. Yeah. And that's part of it lately is kind of um, trying to keep it um, exciting like it was in the beginning. Mm. I feel like uh, the motivation, the viria, the what you were talking about, the energy yeah. to work on all this. It's, um, you know, you go through these phases, I think. And what do Everybody you do? What do, what do you suggest when you're in a phase where you're just not feeling it? You're just like, look for, oh. the, thing, look for the things that are most inspiring. Maybe it's coming to visit your nuns. That's on the that's on the calendar. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and you know, yeah. whatever it is, I mean, sometimes things get pretty challenging, and I've and you can even see it in in monastics that have been in robes for a long time. I mean, you never know what's gonna come along and and kind of cause trouble. 
So it's like you can get really dry periods. You can get really, you know, like um, things bother you that didn't bother you before maybe. You know, things can happen. But you look for the bright spot. You look for what's the most inspiring. And give yourself a break. Usually we're trying too hard. If we're trying to recapture something that happened before, because a lot of times there's a little beginner's luck going on. It can go on for a while, you know. There's the, it's the newness of it, and there's all these cool dumb talks and everything. And then what if, you know, there's like this stagnant period, and then that can happen, that plateau can happen, you know. And, and then you just, or, or one way the ties often talk about my merits running out, you know, like I, I'm, and then there was, you know, you've probably heard me tell you this before, this, there's this monk, what is his name again? Whatever. He's still, he's still around because he co-taught a retreat with Ajahn Amaro not that long ago, and, 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 um, and I was at Amaravati when he said that there was this point where he felt like his, his, his karma as a monk, his merit was running out. And a lot of times when people talk like that, then they're about to disrobe. Um, but he said his, his decision was, I'm going to make more merit. And he threw himself into doing more service and giving more. Mm -hmm. And obviously he got through it. He's still a monk and he's teaching Dhamma. Sorry, who was that? I... Yeah, I'm trying to remember his name. <laughs> oh, okay. I wasn't the only person who spaced out on the name. <laughs> no, I, it'll come to me, but later. <laughs> and, I am. Marianne. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> I think I could text. <laughs> but anyway, you know, it's so so it's like, you know, any of us can can have that kind of thing happen and then reach out and and look for the things because because the thing you can't there are some things you can't unknow you're not gonna like oh yeah stama doesn't make any sense or you know you there are some things you've seen now that you just can't unknow and that's good yeah i'm hoping for that talk on that thank yeah. you also you know sometimes you just need like I said, we need to be kinder to ourselves, more of a break. Um, not yeah, so that's, that's what um, this little part that I was reading in Ajahn Brown's book about. He, I just love this one part where he says, I can't do this. It's hopeless. The teaching is hopeless. The religion is hopeless. Life is hopeless. <laughs> and he says, all that negativity is obviated by caring attention. And he's talking about Oh, you have to have this caring attention. Yeah. And I was listening to the conversation earlier about um, using meta, and um, you know, I I I don't I don't have a real grasp of that. Um, and I'm I'm going to kind of listen to some more talks about that. But uh, I was curious, like, what's your self talk when that happens to you? <laughs> you probably don't have that conversation like he said but um you know it's just easy to say oh we'll just do caring attention or have meta but um i think there's like a talk that that you have to do to yourself and i sometimes just go blank there right i think 
Again, I think you have to find what matters to your mind at the time. The positive. And, and remind yourself of that. You know, there was this um, lady I knew who was Buddhist. And I don't know at what point she was seeing a therapist. And she kept saying, I don't know you know about this that 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 and the therapist finally said well what do you know <laughs> what do you know and at that time it was before I met up with the Dhamma and I started to think about it you know like what could what do I know for sure do what and I I started to write things down and maybe that's an exercise that could help yeah yeah I think you just have to keep reminding yourself of these things getting refreshed like you said um yeah but it's it's frustrating and uh Maybe when you're don't not think about meta so much just think about kindness you know what kindness is you know be kind to yourself give yourself some slack yeah when i'm in meditation and this happens i've i sometimes i find i can be kind to myself, like, it's okay, everything's going to be okay, you know, you're safe, you're, you, you know, I hope you're going to be happy and healthy and have some ease. And sometimes things do kind of uh, soften up. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, maybe some of the hindrances fall away, and then I can get to that little bit of silence. And then I I try not to cling to that, but it does, you know, that's about as good as you can get sometimes um, in terms of taking care of yourself, I guess. I mean, I know you love being in nature and that can really help. (laughs) Yeah. You know, get out there in nature. I mean, this is partly why we live in the forest. You know, it's just incredibly beautiful. I think that's it. It's been a long winter. But tomorrow I'll be kind of... Oh, you've got to look at your other computer. I'm sorry. I think that's part of it. But tomorrow I'll be kayaking. So maybe that'll help. Yeah, yeah. 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 Take in that natural... Need to make that more more regular. Good thought. All right. Thank you. Sorry to take up. No, it's okay. It's good. Christine, oh, okay. She's got a message for you, Paula. Yeah. Yeah, thanks, Christine. Yeah. Yeah, and there's a new monastery coming into Christine's neighborhood that's going to give her a lot of good stuff to do. (laughs) Some real joy, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of times we're just trying too hard when we get to that, we're just trying too hard. We're beating ourselves up and got to learn this and got to do that and got to try all these things that the Buddha said and, and we don't have to try all the things that Buddha said. We need to develop generosity and virtue and you know, samadhi, but you don't have to, we don't have to make it into a goal-oriented program, you know, of accomplishment, like we're taught to do in life. So, 
Okay, thank you all for sharing. So we're kind of coming to the close here of the day. I think we'll do some chanting. Just a little. You want to chant? Do the highest blessings. Oh, that's a nice one. Do you want to chant along? No pressure. It's one of the things we say on the website now. There's a bunch of chanting books up there if you or want. Or you can turn around and we can put it on the screen. Oh, that's true. We can. Yeah, we can do that too. Whoever wants a chanting book, just. And it's page. Well, I have to put it up for the people online anyway. Yeah, she's going to put it up there. The Highest Blessings is on page 27. You want that chanting book. So this is a sutta, and it's also one of the most loved and chanted suttas, called the Mangala Sutta. Like so many stories of the devas coming to visit the Buddha and asking him questions, he talked to devas just like he talked to people. So they're just living beings out there with some of the same desires we have. <laughs> Thus have I heard that the Blessed One was staying at Samadhi, residing at the Jetas Grove in Anatapindika's Park, and in the dark of the night a radiant Deva Illuminated all Chaitas Grove, she bowed down low before the Blessed One. Then standing to one side, she said, Devas are concerned for happiness and ever long for peace. The same is true for humankind. What then are the highest blessings? Avoiding those of foolish ways, associating with the wise, and honoring those worthy of honor. These are the highest blessings, living in places of suitable kinds, with the fruits of past good deeds, and guided by the rightful way. These are the highest blessings accomplished in learning and craftsman skills with discipline highly trained and speech that is true and pleasant to hear. These are the highest blessings providing for mother and father's support and cherishing family. 
and ways of work that harm no being. These are the highest blessings. Generosity and a righteous life, offering help to relatives and kin, and acting in ways that leave no blame. These are the highest blessings. Steadfast in restraint and shunning evil ways, avoiding intoxicants that dull the mind, and heedfulness in all things that arise. These are the highest blessings, respectfulness and of humble ways, contentment and gratitude, and hearing the Dhamma frequently taught. These are the highest blessings, patience and willingness to accept one's faults, seeing venerated seekers of the truth, and sharing often the words of Dhamma. These are the highest blessings, the holy life lived with ardent effort, seeing for oneself the noble truths, and the realization of Nibbana. These are the highest blessings, although involved in worldly tasks, unshaken the mind remains, and beyond all sorrow, spotless, secure. These are the highest blessings, they who live by following this path, no victory wherever they go, and every place for them is safe. These are the highest blessings. So, thank you everyone. Thank you. Should we bow to the Buddha? <coughs> There's a chant for this on page, what, 20? Yeah. If you want. Yeah. yeah, that's one right there. Anybody wants it? The noble, perfectly enlightened and blessed one, I render homage to the Buddha, the blessed one. The teachings so completely explained by him, I bow to the Dhamma. The Blessed One's disciples who have practiced well, I bow to the Sangha. <clears throat> okay. Bow to the teacher. Yeah, wonderful. Well, thank you, everybody online, too. Take good care of yourselves. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.